Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. And today we are joined by Joanne Lockwood, Inclusion and Belonging Specialist at Sea Change Happen. Joanne is an advisor, keynote speaker, panelist, and she works hard to drive transgender awareness. She is here today to share her story and some of the learns along the way. Joanne, great to have you here. Hi, Nadia. Absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for ages. Amazing. So tell us about your role at Sea Change Happen and what that actually entails. My role is as any founder of any organization is, is kind of multifaceted. So I founded the organization back in 2017. So my role has been sales and marketing, business development, branding, you name it. But latterly, obviously, the important thing is, is delivering keynote speaking, running workshops, or consulting. So multifaceted. So I'm, uh, until recently, I've been the front, the back and the middle engine, if you like. So yeah, covering all aspects. Yeah, I love that. And, and I love how you say you're doing, you know, all that delivery so people can see change happen, right? Um, yeah, completely. So look, tell us about the mission. Well, the mission. So when I founded the, the company back in 2017, I had spent a long time working in IT. I ran my own IT business. And I became sort of tired, stale and past my sell by date, really, in terms of, in terms of IT and computing. So I left all that life behind me. I also left my old gender behind me, so I gender transitioned at the same time. And I had a passion back then to change the lives or improve the lives of just one other person or one other family or one other organisation around making someone's transition smoother, easier, less onerous. That's where the kind of passion started when I got when I sold my IT business. And more latterly, I suppose, I, I, I grew to realise that it wasn't just about me or just about trans people. The mission really is around creating a world, an environment, a culture in organisations where everyone can thrive. So I now talk about positive people experiences. DNI is the input. Output is positive people experiences, whatever acronyms you want to do. So I want I, I work with HR teams. I, I work with DNI teams. I work with recruiters, trying to create equitable processes and systems and environments where people can thrive, whether they're a candidate, whether they're an employee, whether they're a customer, whatever it may be. And we're thinking about the employee or the people experience all the way through. And of course, trans people are people. And if everyone can succeed, I can succeed, we can succeed. So, yeah, but I still quite passionately support trans inclusion and awareness in the organisations as well. I really, really relate to that. I love how you've explained, you know, it's not just about you as an individual it's a much much bigger piece and you're making such a huge impact on that bigger piece because you know recently I've been reading a lot about allyship and I've seen that you've been really vocal about what that truly means and I'd love for you to share that with the audience because today's about this audience learning. Yeah allyship I mean it's simply stated it's around using your privilege whatever that may be whatever your privileges are to support people and as communities, support individuals from people who are from marginalised or historically marginalised backgrounds. So women and girls, LGBTQ+, people who are black, brown, people of colour, Asian, people with mental health or physical or neurodiverse conditions. So across that spectrum where people are traditionally marginalised, it's using your privilege to recognise the barriers, systemic barriers, societal barriers that are in place for people and using your privilege to either advocate, stand up, call it out, call it in, 
educate, or just be there, adding your strength, your voice, your voice support, and being there to maybe be a mentor, a coach, or someone to make my and other people's lives just that little bit easier by your actions. And it's not meant to be a like an onerous task, but it has to be active. If you're not active as an ally, then you're just passive. If you're passive, you're not making a difference. So it's allyship for all, holistic, active, and deliberate allyship is what I talk about. Again, super, super powerful, you know, active and deliberate. And I, you know, I really like that. I'm quite a visual person. I can really see what you mean. There, there's so many people who'd like to be allies, but they sort of end up being silent witnesses to to what's happening. And, you know, using that word active is so important to this conversation. Yeah, the bystander effect is real. You know, people, it's not me, it's not my problem. Everybody else is ignoring it. You know, we, we see it all the time. The more people who observe, who observe something negative, the less likely anyone is, is prepared to stand up I do think because if everyone else is ignoring it, why should, why should I say something? We see people get burnt in buildings because nobody runs out because there's that group of think going on. So what we need people to do is not be a bystander, to recognise what they can do. And it's not about putting yourself in danger. It's not about being a have-a-go hero. It's just simple, effective things. Some of it, is a, it can be a simple case of distraction. Talk to the person that is being a victim or, or victimized or, or being abused and saying, are you okay? Can I help? Just, just put yourself between them and somebody else and turn it back on the person and, and talk to the person who's, who's, who's in need. Report on social media. And if you see, see stuff on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever it is, don't wait for someone to say to you, oh, look, here's, here's something he's blocking or reporting. Take responsibility. That shouldn't be on here. That's, that's, that's racist. That's homophobic. That's transphobic. That's sexist. Be the person that says, no, I'm going to report that. Be the person that texts British Transport Police if you see something inappropriate on a train. There's loads of ways. But, uh, you know, I always say if you, if, if you just use your mouse wheel and scroll past stuff on social media, that's passive. That's not active. That's just saying I'm, I'm jogging on bias. And, and to me, that says it's okay in my book. It doesn't worry me enough. Therefore, it doesn't affect me. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything. That's bystander effect. That's, that's what we're saying is it's about being active and deliberate. Being the one that says, no, that's not right. No, that's not good enough. Making that difference. I think every, every one of us can do that. Every one of us can call it out. And I think it's, it's important to do it at the time. And if you, if you walk away and you reflect, reflect on what you could do next time if you can't make that change now. So always think about it. Always reflect wholeheartedly. It's not about putting yourself in danger. It's not about being a full-time job. It's not about being onerous. Small micro interventions make a huge difference to communities and people's lives and thank you for giving so many examples because they're all things that i know people can relate to and i bet you they're thinking now oh i have seen something that i walked past i was on the tube when that happened i wish i had done something and and that's brilliant that you've left the audience and just knowing that it's about the next time that that happens to be more active and more deliberate and talk about active and deliberate. I mean, you've been you've been really busy. You've been speaking at many events recently. I want you just to share some of the work that you've been doing. Yeah, so I suppose I divide what I do mainly was into three categories: speaking, workshops, and consulting. So I've been doing a lot of speaking, sort of keynote, lunch and learns. I do a lot of lunch and learns for corporate organisations around trans awareness, trans inclusion, but also I, I call it finding your why of DNI. Why does it matter to you as an individual? Why does it matter to you as an organisation? So sort of putting some sort of spark in people's mind, triggering change in attitudes. So in terms of consulting, I've been working with companies across the, across the world, 
helping them with setting up pride networks, staff networks, looking at trans inclusion policies, looking at DNI policies, working with boards, senior leadership teams in order to drive change there. And then workshops. I've been running some conscious inclusion, allyship training, inclusive recruitment training, employee experience type training with a DNI lens. So that's kind of the sweet spot. So you're working with organizations of all sizes, public sector, private sector, and global, which is, is really good, really good. And uh, the challenges of working globally, uh, you've got so many different intercultural styles, communications, and each territory is different. You know, what is racism in America is different to racism in the UK, is different to racism in Germany or the Far East. The, the dominant privilege and the environments are different. Still, still same, the same outcome, but the way it's treated and the way it's interacted within that society is different. So intercultural uh, understanding is really, 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 really critical. So for your global organisation, that's a huge impact. But I appreciate yeah, many of your audience may just be UK only, but in which case, even a locale based in the UK, you know, what, what the challenges are in Newcastle versus Edinburgh versus uh, Cardiff versus Belfast versus Portsmouth or Chichester, where I live. Yeah, it's a huge, huge variation. So it's about trying to make sure the training is relevant to the organisations and the people and that they, they can resonate with the messages. Now, without giving away one of your lunch and learns, can you share sort of where you start, especially with regards to policies? So when you look at an environment and you think about businesses that say that they are authentically inclusive, what what would you say are actually the policies that need changing to make that make that reality? One of the key things for me about policies is the policies are written with an old school HR lens often. And, and they're, there, they're there to protect the organisation. They're not necessarily there to be read and valued by the, the teams, the colleagues. And I always think, are your policies and processes inclusive? How do they make me feel reading them? Do I feel like I'm I'm in the witness stand or I'm going to be sued by the organisation? So I think policies should, should have a, a warm tone. Okay, I, I get it. I know we, we need to put legal protection in HR. People are screaming, go, no, 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 you've got to, you've got to have all these legal covers and things like this. And I, I, I get it. But you can write policies in a way that when I read it, I go, oh, you care about me. Wow, that's for my benefit. I understand that. It's not just the company trying to protect itself because we often generate policies for the one to cover the many. Yeah, one person does something, so we write a policy to beat everybody up the stick. So think about how the policies read. Think about the language in the policies. You know, we live in the 21st century, 2022, and you have to be living under a rock in a cave somewhere not to recognise that there are more than two genders. Yeah, male, female, non-binary, and people who have a self-identify in various other ways. So if your, lang- if your language is written from a binary perspective, again, it's not inclusive. If you're not in thinking about your healthcare policies, your maternity policies or paternity policies without using gendered language or only gen- only binary gendered language, then you are by definition excluding people uh, who read that policy. So how can you make your healthcare, how can you make your maternity, paternity, parenthood policies more inclusive? And I, I've been working with one great organisation and they have a, a parent policy and a family policy. Because not every family has, has a parent, not every parent has a family. So it's making sure that you, you have the family policy. So people don't have to out themselves when they're they're asking for the policy. Can I have my can I have the family policy, please? And that includes the statutory wording of maternity, paternity, surrogacy, adoption, all those kind of things that can be in there. But you don't have to explain to your HR team why you want the policy. You just say, I want the family policy. 
then you can pick out the bits you want. So there's some great work organisations doing out there with their inclusive policies. Like when I engage with leadership teams, I'm trying to get them just to a own it. How often do we see in organisations strategy being suggested by the more junior managers? Whereas it should be the board that own and drive the strategy. The team, the leadership team, should be the operational team implementing that. So it's really trying to get the board right up to the chair, all to buy into this and understand why it matters. And that's the case of just doing workshops, working with them to understand why it matters to them as an organisation. Because if I just give you a playbook and says, here, here's your DNI strategy, it's not yours. You have to own it. It has to buy into it. You have to think about how it's relevant to you, your people, your customers, your staff, your market. And I know I speak to loads of people about, is it the business case or is it the right thing to do? And, you know, people will get very evangelical and say, of course, it's the right thing to do. We shouldn't be talking about the business case. But I recognize, you know, there's, uh, you have to think about those three pillars of Cicero and Aristotle, you know, Lagos, pathos and ethos, you know, it's, it's emotion, it's ethics and logic. So you have to appeal to all those sides of different people's personalities, different mindsets. So going purely with the, the emotional connection doesn't always resonate with people who are spreadsheet focused, bottom line focused. And what I try and show, what I, I do show, is that you can combine all of those and everybody wins. You know, what is the right thing to do is also good for business. What is good for business is also ethical. And it's, it's making sure those that, that Venn diagram overlaps where that belongingness is right in the middle of it. And that's what we can do, engage our people. We want belongingness. We want a culture where people can thrive, give discretionary effort, the right level of retention. You know, we don't want people staying forever, but we don't want people pushing themselves out. We want to look at our recruitment policies, making sure we're not closing the door, excluding people. So this is kind of my approach, is talking about all these things. But the first, it does start with, why do you care? What are you trying to do? Is it just because your, your fellow members of the Institute of Directors are doing it and it seems like a good trendy thing to do? You've been told you should. Or do you actually understand why having gender equality, closing racial pay gaps, closing disability gaps, why does that matter to you as an organisation and the positive impact that has societally? And I think that's really, really important. We have to have responsibilities as employers in our society to make sure that we, we, we're tackling joblessness, homelessness, poverty in our work environment, not just thinking blinkered about what's in it for us. We all, as employers, have, have a responsibility to improve society as well. And I, I really, really love everything that you said there. And this has really stood out for me, this sort of trifecta of emotions, ethics and logic. Like, you know, there's a lot of work that I do trying to reach reach people to to drive that change and you're absolutely right if you're only appealing to one of those you're not appealing to the masses which is I, mean, what I, can't, I can't claim that it was definitely cicero and aristotle <laughs> that started all that those uh those ancient philosophers uh, yeah. yeah they've got a lot to answer for but if you look at most good stories most good books most good speeches they appeal to all three of those pillars and i think it's when you're looking at strategy you have to think about those three pillars as core mm. to to make sure it resonates and ticks everybody's box, if you like. Absolutely. And, you know, this whole podcast series, I always say to anyone listening to it, we're here to listen to the pod. We're here to learn from the pod. And then we're here to take something away and walk the talk. I want to use that to frame my last question. 
to those listening to you, what would you want to see more of from them so that they can see change happen? I always say to people, the first thing that I'm after, so I'm, I, I always say that I'm not here to tell you what to think, to tell you what to say. All I want to do is switch on the light to allow you, your organisation or you as an individual to go, ah, I need to think. I need to understand why it matters. Because too often we're so busy in our lives, we're worried about our own balance sheet, our own wages bill, our own VAT quarter, whatever we're trying to do as business leaders. And yes, we want to have positive people experiences, but sometimes we just think too quickly and we don't slow it down enough. We're not pausing. And there's so many people out there that are anti-woke, anti-politically correct. We hear this in the the Tory leadership contest. We saw everybody having a war on woke. Woke simply means I've woken up to social injustice. I'm aware of the issues societally and I'm not prepared to be asleep. I want to wake up to that's what I'd like people to do is appreciate the fact that they may not be able to change the world, but they can change themselves, they can change their organisation, and they can change those around them. You know, to quote somebody else, be the one. Be that one person that decides, I want to do something about this. And it's around, as I said right at the beginning, it's about positive people experiences. That's what you're trying to have in your organisation, in your society. Being anti-woke isn't creating positive experiences. And yes, it may be oh, too much bother when you're living in your privileged box and it's far much, far easier being you than it is to consider everybody else. To step back, pause, think about society. Think about if you have children, think about how they're entering the world. Think about how the modern generations, the Gen Z, the Gen Alphas are seeing the world. They're entering into a new wave. And I think if we want to be relevant to next generations and future generations, we've got to start being less me, me, me and more we, we, we. Absolutely. And Joanne, I I couldn't have ended this podcast in in a better way. So thank you so much for spending time talking to us, sharing your wisdom. There's so much that we can take away from this. It's been incredibly powerful and one that I will remember for a long time. So thank you for joining me on the Women of Fintech podcast series. Thanks, Nadia. Appreciate it.